This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. That being said, let me just dive into our text. We're in Malachi, right? And um, last time we was, we was preaching through a book, we was preaching through the book of Exodus. Now, Exodus was the second book in the Bible, uh, the second book of, of the Old Testament, and it just flows right out of Genesis. As a matter of fact, the things that we see in Genesis are setting up Exodus. So, so Genesis and Exodus are like, they're like together, and, and now we're in Malachi, and Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So it's sort of like we're, we're, we're bookending this thing. We was in the beginning with, with, with Exodus getting set up by Genesis. Now we're in the end of the Old Testament, which is the book of Malachi. But there has been a lot of things that's happened in the, in the lives of the people of God between Exodus and Malachi. Amen. Much has happened. Much has gone down. Uh, um, um, they had been freed from their captivity in Egypt, and then they, they entered into this covenant relationship with God, but they struggled with that covenant relationship. They struggled living into this thing. So there was a lot of, of, of back and forth inside this thing. And, 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 and God, throughout this time, in between these two bookends, he would send prophets to them, right, to, to encourage them to, to live into the covenant, to, to, to confront them, to speak truth to them. And, and, and we see many of those books inside the Bible, right, from from, from Many of those books from those prophets that, that, that was coming through and that was in, encouraging them, but, but Israel wouldn't listen. God even gets to this point where he allows them to, to even be taken captive. They, like, they, they finally make it to the promised land. All this stuff is going down, but they, they're not living into their, their, their relational covenant. And God even allows them to, 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 to be taken captive for a period of time, and they're, and they're taken away. As a matter of fact, while, while they was there, they even built this temple to the Lord, and God allows the temple to get destroyed. And then God sends the last prophet that he's going to send for the next 400 years. Wow. After this, they enter into this, 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 this 400-year silence. Now, God has been, had been doing work, and, and they even have came back out of captivity. They rebuilt the temple and everything, but things were still going tough, and, 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 and there's this 400-year silence from God after this. And then the next um, voice that you hear will be John the Baptist saying, make the way for Jesus. prophet that he sends before that 400-year silence was a prophet by the name of, of Malachi. That's the series that we're jumping in. We want to hear, hear the words that God had to give to the people of God before this 400-year silence. So it's a very important book, and it sets everything up that we then start to engage in the New Testament. So if you'll stand with me, I want to Start off by reading Malachi 1, verses 1 through 5. These are the verses that we're going to, we're going to look at today. And it reads like this. 
The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. This is the word of God. You may be seated. We start off with the oracle of the word of the Lord. So let's linger there just for a bit. This word oracle, this word oracle, it, the, that word that's being translated actually means burden, weight. Right? There's a weight. The oracle of the word of the Lord, burden, weight. Here's what's burdening the heart of the Lord. Here is the weight that's on the Lord regarding his people. I want to I start there because I want to acknowledge the weightiness of God's word. I want to start right there. Before we go any further, we need to acknowledge the weightiness of God's word. There's a burden that comes with it of of, of weight. See, we're supposed to feel how heavy his heart is as we read these things. We're supposed to feel the, the, the weight of his words. They're supposed to make impact. Many of us hear the word of, word of the Lord and we take it lightly. Right. Right. We hear his word and we take, it, we take it lightly. It's the weightiness of it that anchors us. Like imagine you're on a ship and they say, yo, let's drop the anchor and the anchor floats. No, no, no. What holds it from being tossed to and from is the weightiness of the anchor. So that word has to have weight to it to hold you. So when we hear the word of the Lord, we need to hear this thing and know that there is a weight that comes along with this. So when he says the oracle of the word of the Lord, it says, it's saying, here's the burden. Here's the burden. As a matter of fact, it gets to a point of time in, in, in these texts where there was a lot of false prophets that was going around. And they was like, yo, here's the burden of, of the Lord. And they was lying. And the Lord was like, yo, my burden is you. That's in the scripture. I wanted to start off feeling that. The weightiness of the word of God that we get to dwell and live inside of us. Now, it's to Israel, right? It started off, the word of the Lord to Israel. So as we enter in, and I want to set up how, we're, how we should receive this, 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 this time walking through this text. He's talking to his people. Yeah. 
not speaking to culture. He's not speaking to the world. This is a family conversation here. We got to feel that this is a family conversation here, right? Like, like some things are about to go down here. And he's like, yo, no, no, let me bring the family together. And it's like a dad is trying to have a conversation with the family. And he's like, I have some weighty issues on my mind, on my heart that I want to talk to you about. And that family that is, is Israel, that family is us, the church, whether you're looking at Big C Church or you're looking at the local body or, or just you're remembering that you are individuals of that local body. Like sometimes we try to disconnect ourselves from the family. Some of us want to profess Christ, but, but we don't want to be seen as a, a, a part of the church because we want to distance ourselves from the brokenness of the church. But listen, when you are a part of the family, you can't distance yourself from the brokenness of the family. That comes along with being a part of the family here. So when we hear these words this morning, you need to hear a family conversation. Don't distance yourself from it. So there's this family conversation that's going on. And God communicates the weight of his burden through a prophet by the name of Malachi. Now, the word Malachi actually means my messenger. So there's some debate on whether or not Malachi is literally his name or whether he come in and it's like, we don't even need to know his name. We just need to know God sent a messenger. But here's what I want us to grasp as we are looking at this. And, and, and Malachi is considered a minor prophet, not because what he had to say was minor, but because we don't have a lot of stuff from him, right? But as we start to, to, to contemplate and listen to these words of, of, of the prophet, right? What, here's what I want, I, I want to remind us of. I want to remind us of, 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 of right after Jesus died, right? Right after he died, uh, his disciples were confused and they didn't know what was going on. They, were, they had all their hopes in, 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 in believing in Jesus and all this stuff was about to go down. And he, he meets them on the road to Emmaus, right? And when he meets him on the road to the maze, he, he cloaks his identity so they don't really realize who it is. He just listens to them talking about the dismay that they're in. And I want to read what he says. He says, it says, then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, including the minor ones, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all of Scripture. See, the entire Old Testament points to Christ, and Christ connects himself to the prophets of the Old Testament. So we have to see Christ speaking to the prophets of the Old Testament to us here today. If you want to hear this, Hear Jesus speaking to the church. He connects and identifies himself with all the prophetic words that was going down. I'm just trying to set this up so we know how to receive this, right? 
how to, how to, how to take this in, this family conversation. Our Lord has been speaking to us. So the conversation starts. And in verses 2 to 3, God states, he has loved Israel. I've loved you. He, he starts the conversation with what he has done. We got to get this. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't start the conversation with what they did. He doesn't start the conversation with, with a list of their failures. He starts the conversation with what he has done. I have loved you. And he centers the entire conversation around his love. Everything that's about to happen from here on out. Here's the foundation of it. I've loved you. This is a love that they have seen. A love that they have experienced. A love that they have been recipients of. You, I've loved you. And as we, as we listen to what the Lord is saying to them, we have to start with the same thing. We have to enter in right here, knowing this exact same thing. We have been loved. Don't read this disconnected. He goes to them. He says, I has loved you. He didn't say, one day I will love you. He didn't say, if you do all the right things, I'll, I'll love you. He said, I have loved you. And when we enter into this conversation, we have to enter in knowing we have been loved. We have been loved on lavishly by our God. Don't disconnect from that reality. I don't care what it looks like. We have been, I've loved you. Know that you have experienced his love. You have tasted his love. He's having this, this family conversation with you, with us, with we, and he starts with, I have loved you. The reality of his love is the foundation of every conversation that, that he's about to have, this conversation that he has with his people. But the moment that he says, I have loved you, He has to also address the rejection that rises up inside their hearts regarding his love. The more I've, I've loved you. But at that very moment. So the next thing he says, but you say, how have you loved us? As we go through the book of Malachi, what, you, what you'll see is. The questioning of God is a pattern that we'll see all the way throughout Malachi. God will say, listen, y'all have done this and, and I've done that. And they will tell me, well, how, how? How did we do this? And this is a pattern that we're going to see all the way throughout the book of Malachi. And, and, and it makes the book of Malachi very unique because it captures all this going back and forth, this, this questioning of God. Like you're not talking to a holy God who knows all things and is perfect in all of his ways, but yet still you say these things and I hit you back with a question, how so? 
It exposes where the people are in their walk with God, where they've come to, how lightly they take his word. And it's a pattern that characterizes the people of God even today. It's not that was just them. It's a pattern that characterizes the people of God even today. He says, I have loved you. And he says, how? How have you loved on us? Now, there was a lot that's going on. The temple got destroyed. They got taken away. Now they're back, and, and they rebuilt the temple. But things have been up and down all the way through. And here's the reality. We constantly question God's love. We constantly question God's love. We start with the question of God's love as we enter into this book because the question of God's love gives birth to all the other questions. We got to get this. At the core, there's this questioning of God's love that gives birth to a plethora of other questions. All the questions that they had, all the questions that we have. And know this, they didn't just verbally question God's love. It wasn't like Malachi came out and Malachi was like, listen, God said, I've loved y'all. And somebody raised his hand and somebody was like, how? How then? Prove it. That's not how it went. God is bringing to light what he has heard them say through their hearts, through their mouths, and through their lives. You see, when he says, but you say, how have you loved us? There are ways that we live our lives that scream, how have you loved me? There are ways that, that, that we live and we function in the every days of our life that's yelling out loud over and over again, how have you really loved me? Right, right, right. Uh, we, we have to get this. Communication is done not just verbally. So, so, so God is like, and you say, how have I loved you? Like, like, if we really believe his love, it would shape what we do and don't do. Yeah. It's like, if we really believe that he, he loved that there's certain things that we would stop doing. Yeah. If we really believe that he loved us, there's certain things that we would start doing. Yeah. It would shape the spirit and heart of how we do certain things because I know that he loves me. Yeah. So he's, ha- he's hitting them with this question. And he's saying, and you question, how do I love you? you? You do it all the time. Just your posture of how you live your life. You do it in such of a way that questions my love for you. Wow. Come on. You publicly question my love for you in front of everyone for how you live. Sometimes we're afraid. We're afraid to talk about things like holiness and stuff like that. We're afraid to talk about it because we start talking about that and people start getting afraid. Oh, you're about to go into legalism and stuff like that. 
Like, oh, no, now they're going to tell us all the things we do and don't. It's not about that. Since we don't get the chance to talk about holiness, people don't understand holiness. And holiness is a response to God's love. It says, you're holy, and you're calling me up higher, so now I want to live this life, and I'm, and I'm constantly thinking through how I live my life because I, I, I'm loved. Like, there are certain questions that the only reasons those questions even exist inside of our heart is because we don't trust God's love. That's the only reason that question is there. I don't really trust his love. I won't verbally say I don't trust his love. I won't verbally say I don't believe that he loves me. But the only reason that question, the same one that popped inside of your mind just now, is there. Because somewhere I doubt that he actually loves me. So, so God responds to the question inside of their hearts. God responds to the question. Like, this time that we see, we see Jesus do the exact same thing. Where Jesus is talking, he's breaking things down, and then he responds to the question inside somebody's heart. They didn't verbally say it, but he heard it, and he addresses it. So he says, and you said that I don't love you. To the question of his love, here's what he says. And this, and this word, and we're going to look at it real quick, and then we'll pray. Here's what he says. Esau and Jacob were brothers, but I chose to love Jacob, and I hated Esau. What, what a weird answer. <laughs> you don't believe I loved you? Esau and Jacob were brothers. I hated Esau. But I loved you. (laughs) But it's true. His love for Jacob and his hatred for Esau is the evidence of his love for Israel. We'll look at that for a second. We're going to look at this love and this hate. You see... I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Esau and Jacob were brothers. They were twins. But he said that he chose to love Jacob over Esau. What's important to understand is when did this choosing happen? When he chose to love Jacob over Esau, when? It wasn't, oh, the twin babies got born and he was looking at them like, oh, that one is cute and that one is... Oh, there's one that I love and hate. (laughs) It wasn't like that. You go back to Genesis 25 and 23 before any of them were born. Before they were born, he says, the the, the older will serve the younger one. He's making a choice of of what things are going to go down. See, many of us hear that that God hated Esau and loved Jacob, and and, and we get upset. We get confused. We're like, that's not fear. (laughs) That's not fear. Why did God hate Esau? Why did he not choose to love Esau? Wrong question. Here's the better question. 
Why did God choose to love Jacob? Here's a better question. Oh, you don't know Jacob. Like God chose before they was born, knowing everything that they would do inside of their lives. Despite the fact that Esau was born first of the twins, so he should technically get everything. He's the firstborn. Let me tell you, Jacob was a covenant breaker. No, no, his Jacob reputation, he was a thief. Well known. No, no, no. Jacob was deceitful. You don't know. Jacob did a ton inside that, these, in between these bookends, Jacob did a ton of crazy stuff. He was known as a trickster. He was known to be selfish. He was known to be stubborn. There's even a point in time when he gets into, he gets into the slap box match with, with, with God. God comes as an angel. Next thing you know, they're wrestling with one another. That's how down folks, sound south folks say wrestling. Wrestling. <laughs> and then after the, this wrestling match, God renames Jacob Israel. Yeah. Why would he choose to love Jacob? He did nothing to deserve it. Right. He was just just. Born, he did nothing to deserve it, and then even after he was born, he did nothing to earn it. It wasn't like, oh, okay, he made up for it. He did nothing to, to deserve it after he was born. So, so why we ask, why did God choose to love Israel if I identify as a part of the family? I did nothing to earn that. It wasn't because of, of how smart I was. It wasn't because of, 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 of I made all the wide choices. I had just as much a part of it as any child being born into a family. Just as much a part of it, as, which is nothing. Which is absolutely nothing. I was reborn as a child into this family and I did nothing to deserve it. And God knew everything that me, everything that you, everything that we would, would ever do. And yet still, God chose you despite you. Come on. Come on. So he's talking to them. He said, hold on. I chose Jacob. I chose to love him. But the choosing happened way before he did anything. And then when he was born, all the stuff he did was jacked up. But yet, he was chosen and called Israel, and, and we're talking to their, their descendants. It's called grace. Yeah. It's called grace. We, we need to embrace that and know that this morning. Listen, the fact that God chose you to love him despite you proves he, his love towards you. Come on. Come on. Despite you. Because he loves you. Why the reason? Not because you earned it, you're so good, but despite you, oh, all the jacked up things you're going to do, but I want him. I want her. Now, here's a point that we, we need to understand. His love for you is not isolated apart from the family. Even as we talk this, his love for you is not isolated apart from the family. He loves you because he loves his family. Like, we hear these things, and we start isolating, and we're just thinking it's about me. He loves you because he loves his family, and you're all part of his family. So the way that you receive that he loves you is because you know that he loves us. 
We have to get that. We have to know that. You got to know that he loves us. So a part of how I respond to his love is a part of how I live into the family. It's a part of how I, I, I live as, as a resident of the family. This morning, as we set the stage for every single thing that we're going to hear, I want us to hear God's love for, for us. So God says, listen, I've loved you. I've loved, I've loved Jacob. And then he builds his case for, for the love of Jacob, the love of Israel, by saying, look how much I've hated Esau. So if we're all understanding, we're all on the same page. Israel is the descendants of Jacob, right? And Edom, they're the descendants of Esau, and just for a brief second, I want to look at Edom for a bit. In Obadiah 1 and 10, you can look it up. I won't put it up on the screen. But there's a statement that's made, and it says, Because of Esau, Edom's violence towards Jacob, Israel. This is why God hates them. This is why God is against them. Edom had a history of violence towards Israel. All throughout, in between those, those, those books, you see this constant feud. This constant feud between Edom, Esau's dis, dis, descendants. This, and there is constant wickedness that's happening here. I want us to catch what's, what's going on. There was even this point where, where Edom would, would, would join in with people that was invading Judah. And they would help out just so they could pillage. And like, listen... Y'all are actually supposed to be family. But there was times when invaders would come in and they would help the invaders. God's hatred for Esau were out of protection and love for Jacob. See, a part of God's hatred of sin because of how it hurts his family. Yeah. Like sin is a reproach to God point blank. But when you dive into sin, part of the reason why God hates sin, because his family is affected by it. Yeah. This is why when we talk about things about how God loves justice, this is a true statement. God does love justice. Yeah. But it's justice because of love. This is why he cares so much about justice. He loves those that whom wickedness is being done to. And, and out of a protection of his family, he stands up and, and, and he fights for justice. There is a deeper thing that's happening here in this, in this relationship where in God's sovereignty, like there's even this point, even though Esau is... is, is, is the firstborn who gets all the rights. There's even this point where Esau is like, listen, he sells all of his rights away for a cup of soup. Before, before all this is going down. He sets all this up. And when he sets all this up, 
you get to verse 5. And in verse 5, he says, he builds this whole case. I've loved you. I've hated Esau. Look at all the ways that I fought against Esau. And then he says, your eyes will see. And you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. There's this reality where the discussion of love that we see in verses 1 through 5 gets to the heart of God being glorified amongst the nations. Gets to the heart of God being exalted amongst the nations. People will see my love for you. How God shows love for us testifies of his goodness to all. And how we receive and respond to that love echoes his goodness. People see us, and they know that we are loved. They see us, and they know that we are loved. And when we question God's love with our lives, it causes others to question God's love and often his very existence. So for God, it's a testimony of his name throughout the nations. This whole starting of this conversation centered around his love and our question of his love. And then turning around saying, listen, you will see my name exalted beyond the borders of Israel. And all of this is connected. The band can come up now. We'll close with communion. Here's what I want to close as we go into communion. Every single Sunday, when we take communion... We're drawn to contemplate the reality of Christ. How does Christ show us the love of God? How does he show us the love of God? Here's the answer. You see this inside the New Testament. Christ shows us God's love. God shows us his love in Christ and that he came for unworthy people. God's enemies ungodly sinners, dead in our sins, and that Christ came and sacrificed his life and rose again. That's the context here. Right here inside this text, Malachi is talking and he says, I've, I've loved you because I've, 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 I've chosen you and had nothing to do with you. Right. And then you have Jesus who comes yes. and he dies for people who did nothing at all to deserve it. People who are enemies of God. Because he would graft them in to be the family of God. Right. I wanted to look at Romans 5 verses 6 to 11. And that'll set the tone before we go in for communion. It reads this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We close this text out this morning, setting the stage of God's love for us that had nothing to do with us. This is the stage that sets communion this morning. And and if you're someone inside this room that's like, I'm not a part of the family and I want to be a part of the family, then we want to meet with you over there. If you just want prayer, we want to meet with you over there. But otherwise from that, as you go to this table, that bread represents his body broken for you and the cup represents his blood that flows for you while you did not deserve it and yet you are fully invited in and united with him as members of the family. The table is open. Let's break bread and then let's worship together. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.